Let's look here and read together 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll just simply read uh, the entire portion here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways. For now, we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith And love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus, thank you for your word, and thank you for this beautiful text that you've given to us, not so we can just ponder, but so we can do it. Help us to do it, we pray in your name, amen. Well, we're in epiphany, and epiphany can mean a manifestation. Epiphany is a season of the church where Christ is manifesting himself to the Gentiles. He's manifesting himself, as we've already seen, in baptism. He's manifesting himself as our Lord and King, only by the Spirit, remember. And he's manifesting himself in the church. Remember, the body of Christ, as Pastor Bruce preached last week. But now, today, we encounter the manifestation of Christ in love. And so the church in its wisdom in the lectionary has given us, landed us right here in in 1 Corinthians 13, which is an entire chapter dedicated to love. But what I want to do, because oftentimes this may be read at weddings or maybe we quote it in different places in different times, but its original context matters. What, where Paul places this ought to matter to us, that's what we call the context, Right? And uh, as one of my professors used to say, a text without its context is only a con. It's not meant to be seen in the way that it was actually propagated. And so we don't want to con out Paul uh, because we're going to meet him one day. (laughs) And so he's not going to be very happy if we're misusing something that God has inspired him by the Spirit to write to us through the Corinthian church. And so notice this. Just look at it in your Bible with me. Um, 
Look at chapter 12. So just back up from 13. We know how it began. And notice what it says. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. That is to say, Paul has been in a discussion of the gifts of the Spirit, hasn't he? Remember, that's really where we began. Remember, you can't call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. And then when you are able to do that by the Spirit, he then gifts us his gifts. For the purpose of building up the body of Christ. You see how that works. And so Paul is saying, look, earnestly desire God's spiritual gifts. Then he says this. Then he trails off. (laughs) This is a great rabbit to trail off to, though. And I will show you a more excellent way. And so he peels off of that discussion of spiritual gifts in order to land at the centrality, centrality of all of life, which is love. Which is love. Something all humans experience to some degree in their life. Whether it's in movies or in reality of your family or your marriage or looking at another marriage. Love is all around us. Truly. And We're told it is the central thing. It's also the most written about thing in human history. It's the most sung about thing in all of the world. I mean, what kind of show or movie would it be if it didn't have love? You say, well, you know, there's war movies, man. and Even war movies have love. I'm sitting there crying in a war movie because that dude just died for somebody. Why? Because he loved him. That's why. Love. Well... Paul then talks all about love, okay, here, agape love, and we're going to get into that. But then notice 14, just turn the page, chapter 14, notice how he then picks up the discussion again in 14.1. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. You see what he did? It's what we call in, uh, in, in the grammatical sequence of things, a chiasm. So you have A, then you have B, then you have C, then you go B1, A1. Does that make sense? It forms a kind of mountain in a literary sense. Did you see how that works? With a center point, which would be 1 Corinthians. So in Paul's mind and how he's laid this out, he says, desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. Then pursue love. Then he talks about love. Then he comes back, pursue love. And desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. All right. So because we just see it as Paul is wanting us to see it, we can tell that the central piece here is love. It's love. So there's a reason why we make a big deal of 1 Corinthians 13. All right. That's that's all that's substantiating really. Um, For Paul, love is going to be priority. It's going to be the greatest thing that he can offer us to get involved with. And not only for Paul, though, but for Jesus. And so what I want to do is, as I want to look at three things. Paul, uh, sorry, love's priority, all right, love's personality, and then love's persistence. Because all three of those are, the, are essentially the three paragraphs that he offers here in this one chapter that is supposed to be central. And by the way, if you don't catch that after, after he does 13, then we get back into 14, which is spiritual gifts, then 15, which is resurrection, which will be there for three Sundays. The next three Sundays will be in chapter 15. Then in chapter 16, 
Paul, if you hadn't got the point yet, he goes, simply do everything in love. Everything in love. 1614. All right. Love's priority. Why is love the priority? For Paul, love is the master key. You know, I, I took a sabbatical, as many of you know, uh, this, this past year, 21. And before I went on sabbatical, I had a pocket full of keys. I mean, I actually had a carabiner because it really was like being a janitor. I had keys to every single door in this building. And every single door in this building, including all the cabinets and, you know, any sort of closet, had a key that was separate from all the other keys. We had no master key. Um, and I walked around literally like a janitor. Well, now <laughs> I can show I have only a few keys. <laughs> key to my truck. I have a key to the mailbox. And then I actually don't know what that key is. Oh, yeah, a key now to her new office. I was just like, where'd that key come from? I forgot to put it on there. Um, and then the master key, this one. This will lock every, this will unlock every door in this building. It is the master key. So whereas we have other keys, you know, again, that maybe we give to you that only unlock the front door or maybe this side door. This key is the master key. And for Paul, love is the master key. It unlocks all the things of God. It is not limited to this door or that door. You know, in life, we can often get confused like, man, there's so many books on growth or psychology or self-help or this. I want to be a better coworker. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better spouse. I want to be a better this or that. And there's a host of coaches and programs and seven steps and three steps and 22 steps and you name it, right? And it's very confusing. For Paul, he says, listen, I've got a key that unlocks every single one of those things that we desire in love, and that is love. Love is the master key. It is the priority. And this was the case for Jesus, wasn't it? When asked, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? What's the one thing that we just should all be about? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God. He actually quotes the Old Testament, doesn't he? Love the Lord, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love for Jesus was the master key to unlock relationships, to unlock mercy and forgiveness and grace and all the things that all of us desire. We found the master key. <laughs> and so you can put away these other things like I was able to do and clean house. And maybe Lent coming up at the beginning of March will be a time for you. We're all, Bruce, Pastor Bruce and I are already praying for this. That all of us can go through a spring cleaning of the soul. So we can get focused. You know, I... I um, My eye was bothering me for like two weeks, and I had no idea what in the world was going on with it. It was this left eyeball. I've never had problems with my sight, you know, and it wasn't necessarily a sight problem. Thought it was this, thought it was that. So I go into an optometrist, you know, and I ask him all these questions because I've never been. And uh, and so, you know, we're we're talking and chatting, and what it came down to was I had an ingrown uh, sort of uh, uh, eyelash, yes, that that he just plucked away. Easy thing. But he also said, well, you also have a... Uh, what do you call it? 
Stigmatism. Yeah, I keep wanting to say cataract. I know that's different. <laughs> See, you all know what a cataract is, and I actually don't. So um, <clears throat> he's, he goes, you have a slight stigmatism. I said, no, help me out, Doc. I don't, I don't know what, what that is. I know what a stigma is. Like, <laughs> you're saying I have a stigma about me? He's like, no, 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 no. It's a stigmatism in your eye. It's where your eye focuses on two things. And so you don't get great focus. And so it's trying to focus on two points, basically. I said, give it to me in layman's terms, buddy. You know, and uh, I thought to myself, that's, that's what the scripture says our problem is as well, doesn't it? Double-minded. Trying to look at two things. Trying to have our eyes on Jesus, while at the same time, our eyes on our checkbook. Or our eyes on what we can do at work. Or power, or will, or our ability. Or anything else. Entertainment. I mean, we can go down the list. There's all kinds of things that would, that would make us look away from Christ. And we try to live a life where we've got one eye on the world and one eye on Christ, and we get blurry vision. No. The scripture actually speaks to it this exact way. Have a single eye. Have a single eye. So you don't have blurry vision. Be in love with Christ and that be everything. That be the priority. Let everything be done in love. With an eye to the love of God. Who is Christ Jesus our Lord. So for Paul. For Jesus as we're kind of <clears throat> going out the concentric circles. And for none other than uh, John the Beloved. The apostle of love as we call him right. You know who I'm talking about, who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, who wrote Revelation, the one, as he refers to himself, whom Jesus loved, will tell us also, get this, God is love. <laughs> it's not just something God does, God is love. And those who love are born of God and know God. So, for Paul, for Jesus, for John, centrality of love, the priority of love, because they were reading their Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, we bump into a word, and it's this word, hesed, which cannot really be translated well, in English straight away. And so typically your translations, uh, whether they be ESV or NLT or whatever, are going to translate it differently because there's no one English equivalent. Love is too weak for Hesed because the way we understand love has been watered down. We, we in English, we just have one, right, definition for love. <laughs> and so I might love ice cream. You know, I tell you, man, I love ice cream, you know. Uh, and I love my wife. That's two very different loves. Now, now I get it. In English, we, we sort of contextually, you're like, oh, I get it, right? So, yeah, your love for ice cream, you know, you're willing to die for ice cream, right? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> Trust me, I, uh, I actually don't love it that much, honestly. But I do love my wife, and I would die for her. So we have a hard time, and so in the English, what they try to do is try to, grab a couple words to mean 
something close to what hesed, which is the kind of love that God has for his people in the Old Testament. And so Isaiah 54, 10 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Unfailing love is that term hesed. Really in Hebrew you say chesed. It's spelled C-H when you transliterate it. Chesed love. But I'm not going to do that every time. We just say hesed, okay? We're not real guttural like Hebrew. Completely undeserved kindness and generosity. That's what hesed is. Undeserved, surprising, abundant generosity. Covenant faithfulness is another way to look at it. A, a, A love that rescues like in Hosea a love that never ends love in action and so Paul obviously Jesus and John all are aware of this word and now they're using a word too in the New Testament to be sort of the equivalent of hesed and that is agape now maybe you've heard of this one right so so agape love and really, what we're, what we're, reason where you say, man, wow, we're getting really technical here. It's like, well, this is the Bible after all. And we're not talking about mitochondria. And your sixth graders are learning about that. I don't even really know what that means. I hope it was okay to say. <laughs> mitochondria, you know. I think it has something to do with cellular build or whatever. But point is, we act like we can't understand the Bible and a few words when our children are learning stuff that I've never even heard of. I may have told you the other week, and forgive me if I did, but I, um, my, my son, we were going to see Spider-Man recently uh, at the movies, and he's, I hear him in the background, I think Jameson's back there, a couple others, and, and Jackson says, well, that story for Spider-Man was not canonical. And I was like, what? Con- how, is he know, how does he know about canonicity? And so I was, I mean, hey, guys, I'm going to jump in here to this discussion. Do you all know what canonical means? Like, how, do you, how did you bump into that? Well, it's a YouTuber, blah, 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 you know. Everything from YouTube now. Point is, we act like we can't know these things. And, oh, that's too much. I can't, I can't do theology. I can't know God in that way. That's way. Listen, that's not true. If you want to, you can. And I think we should be familiar with some of these words. I don't even know Hebrew, okay? And yet I can be comfortable knowing what this word means because I know some people who do. And the church has been clear on this matter of hesed and agape. And we ought to use this term because our term for love in English is too weak. Everybody with me? It's not loving ice cream or football as opposed to loving Blakely. Very different things. Okay? And so agape helps us to define that and to distinguish that and to put some power behind it, all right? And, and, and that's what Christ is wanting for us today is to hear these words of Paul because Paul is saying, listen, this is about the agape love of God. It's not some cheap love of the world. It's not a preference. It's not a feeling. No, <laughs> it's much more than that. It's a word of doing. It's a being who is God himself. And so, in the Greek, there were four, four words for love, primarily, which is storge, which is like empathy uh, toward family members, sort of dedicated to one another, um, you know, just by birth or something. 
Phileo, which is where we get like Philadelphia, right? Delphoi is, is brother in Greek, and Phileo is love. So the city of what? Brotherly love, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's like one of our cities is Greek. Um, they're not really, but Phileo is, is love for a friend, companionship. And, and we know this. We, we felt very strongly for some of our friends, and hopefully you, you know, it's a sad statistic, and um, I'm so, I know some of you can speak more to this statistically, but in America, people don't have many friends. Not many friends they can trust. It's a whole generation of people that actually don't have friends that they can be their self around and truly show their real self and be comfortable. That's a sad thing. We need more phileo in the world. Well, then you have eros, right? Which is where we get the term erotic from. And this is romantic love. It's sexual love. So love between husband and wife. Um, then finally, you have this word agape, which is Christian love. Paul really hijacks this term in Greek and fills it with new meaning. It had some meaning of love of everybody, but he says, no, it's the love of God for everybody. It is God's kind of love, which is a, an unconditional, selfless love, full of charity and generosity. In other words, when we look at the personality of love, what it's like, its character, we see that it really, it's hesed. It's agape, which we now can just simply say, for all our, our intensive purposes, Christian love. It's Christian love. To distinguish it from any other sort of love, it's Christian love. And that should mean something, friend. And if it doesn't, we need to fill it back up with meaning. You say, how? How can we do that? Pull out a lexicon? No. Change the etymology? No. Instead, live it out. That's how we change it, is by living it out. So that people say, what kind of love is? I, I, hang on, love is not preference? So you're telling me that, that you know, because a lot of people just mean, I love you. That just simply means, I prefer you now. But I don't if you can't help me. If you don't think like me or you don't act like me or you don't do what I want to do, then you're no longer my preference. I don't love you anymore. That is not agape, friend. Agape is not a preference. It's a covenant. Covenant loyalty. It's faithfulness. Unfailing mercy. Lord, how many times should we forgive people? He goes, seven times? That's a lot, right? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. Which really is like saying infinity. No, when we start looking at the character of love, the character of Christian love, God doesn't just send us a text message, I love you. He shows up himself, doesn't he? He shows up in person. You know, inevitably when storms come, my kids get nervous, and rightfully so. We've had some bad ones in our area, and when they were little, there's a whole story that I won't go into now. They got scared. You know, we, we, we did the whole 2011 tornadoes across uh, Alabama and Mississippi and all. 
they want and call out for their father or their mother when the storm comes. Lightning, whatever. It's like, especially when they were smaller. Da-da! I hear them up there, you know? Now, what if I just, hey, it's fine. We're cool. Shoot up a little paper airplane with a message. It's okay. I love you. No, is that what they really want? No, they want me in the room. And so do we, really. Love beckons us to be face-to-face. really does. If I'm in the woods and I get scared, hear some noises around me. I would just like for you to be somewhere near me. I don't really trust that you can do anything any more than I can. <laughs> Something bust out of those woods or out in the ocean. But you know what? Just having you near is comforting for me. We need personal presence in our life. That's what love does. And if we're going to change the world, we can't just tell the world, oh, yeah, we have a different love than you. You need to start loving like us. No, no, no. We go to them and be the personal presence of love in their life. It's what our Lord did, isn't it? And if we are disciples of Christ and his way, then that means we do what he does. He, didn't just, he, he did send a text message to clarify. Because, you know, personal presence sometimes doesn't clarify everything, you know. Some of us get our thoughts better in words than we do in person. He sends both. And we have both. It's an incarnational love. Well... You know, some of us have approached 1 Corinthians probably 13 like me, and that is like, okay, what is love? I need, I need to know what love is because I got to love because you know, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? That was me in my early days. And so I go to 1 Corinthians 13, and it's not really definitional, is it? It's like, this doesn't read like Webster's Dick. Why, why in the world would you go this route, Paul? Just give us what love is, man. Just tell us plainly, right? I mean, you can hear people even talking to Jesus that way, right? Just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or not, man? It's because we're Gnostic in some way. We think knowledge will save us, and it won't. We think if we can understand something, if I can just, if I can just understand why this is happening to me, why this pandemic happened. No, knowledge doesn't change what happened, and it won't save you. Knowledge doesn't save you. Knowledge is helpful. But us understanding, that's not everything. If it were, then when Job had his whole bad things that happened in his life and God showed up, God would just simply, listen, let's sit down, have some tea, and let me explain things. Did God do that with Job? (laughs) No. He said, Job, um, were you there when I measured out the oceans? Flung out the constellations. No, sir. I didn't think so. Good talk. Why? Why? Because he's angry? Because he's a mean God? No. It's because we won't be able to understand. Even if he told us. I know you, we all, just like me, I think, no, no, Lord, seriously, I I can get it if you'll just tell me, man. It's taken me 40 years to realize it's not just how we understand love or think rightly about God, but that we love God. And we can't love God without loving other people. 
it's impossible. And so many times I've, I've thought, man, like I understand that passage. And no, not yet. Not until it's lived out do we understand something. Because knowledge is not enough. To have it in the head is not enough. It must be worked out in our hands. And until we are practicing love, we don't understand it. Maybe an illustration is in place. And this is one I use often in my, in my classes at Calhoun, which Jessica really likes me to use this one because it's about her. <laughs> um, I always say, you know, I can tell you about Jessica, and we can try to define her. And we can study her patterns. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, uh, maybe right now she's on a Mexican kick, you know? Like, that's just, if it's up for where we're going to eat, it's going to be that. Or maybe it's, it's this drink or, or, or this sort of, like, I can walk you through how she goes up and down on this thing, and I just eat whatever's before me, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm game for the ride. I like all food, you know. I have no, I don't discriminate with food. I can tell you all these things about her. You know, she's kind, she's a great mother. Um, the fact that she's stuck with me <laughs> all these years uh, really says something about her character and not mine. Um, I can say all these things. But until she walks in the room and you see her face and her smile and somehow experience her presence face to face, you don't know her. You don't know her. And it's the same way with God. We can have all our T's crossed and all our I's dotted and be as orthodox as the Chalcedonian Creed. But if we don't have love, if we've not experienced his love personally, we don't know him. We don't know him. Many scholars have looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and said, you know what, if you actually replace love with Jesus, it really changes the way we begin to see what love is. I mean, let's just do a little exercise here in the second, second paragraph with that. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way, is not irritable or resentful. But Jesus doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus never fails. You see the perspectival change? We, we, we take love from a concept to ground it in a person, which is what John's point is. God is love. Love is not some substance just floating in the world that we tap into in some sort of spiritualistic way. No. Love is grounded in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. 
It was St. Augustine who, in the 4th century A.D., said, The Father loves the Son, and the love between the Father and the Son is the Holy Spirit. So that when we are born of the Spirit, we are caught up into the very divine nature of who God is. We're caught between the love of the Father and the Son, welcomed into the family of God. What an image of the Holy Trinity. And it is his invitation to us. Notice Paul's description here. Uh, it's love suffers long and is patient. It's kind. You know what? Let's just pause right here. Let's, let's do an experiment with this. What if instead of putting Jesus in the place of love, what if we put your name? I'm embarrassed to say my name. Let's see how that would read. Marshall suffers long and is patient. You put your name where I'm putting Marshall. Now this is embarrassing, I would say for probably all of us. Marshall is kind and gentle, and especially to those who hurt. I'm doing a bit of interpretation here as well. Marshall does not envy, is not jealous of what others have. Marshall does not parade himself or put himself on display. Marshall is not puffed up, arrogant, or proud. Marshall does not act rudely, brashly, mean-spirited, or insulting of others. Now, you put your name there and start checking these off as something to repent of. Marshall does not seek his own way or act pushy. Marshall is not provoked or angered. Marshall thinks no evil. And does not keep a score on others. Marshall rejoices not in iniquity. And takes no pleasure when others fall into sin. Marshall rejoices in the truth. Is joyful when righteousness prevails. Marshall bears all things. Handles the burdensome. Those people in our life that are burdensome. Marshall believes all things, trusts in God no matter what. Marshall hopes all things, keeps looking up, never despairing. Marshall endures all things, puts up with everything, does not wear out. Marshall never fails. Now I can tell you that's not completely true. But I want it to be. I'm growing in that direction. I can actually see myself 10 years ago with a lot more of those that I would say, whew, Lord Jesus, help, help, help. What about you? What about you? When we measure our life, when we get out the ruler of Scripture and measure our life, that's what canonical means, by the way, a measurement of an authoritative document. We measure our life to that personality, that characteristic of love. Where are we? 
Are we moving closer or further away? Well, it's only by the Spirit that we can move closer, isn't it? Thanks be to God, He offers His forgiveness abundantly. I am a living example before you of that. He should have given up on me a long time ago. Some of you should have given up on me a long time ago. But because of love, you haven't. And I just, I can't express the thankfulness I have in my heart. That's what love does, isn't it? That's what love ought to be. It's not self-interested. It's self-sacrificing. It's caring for the poor, the widows, babies, and the unborn. Loving God through our actions, which is Eucharist, isn't it? To give thanks. We give thanks to God because of his great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, this is a cruciform love. Where is love displayed? We've read the text. We read the text message from God. Where's it displayed? Where's the person? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And primarily, it's Jesus on the cross. That is the greatest display of agape love, of Christian love, is the cross. Love in this way is both vertical and horizontal. It's to God and it's to others. It is not a cycle or a circle, but one going ever directionally to God and others. It's why... This meal is the central meal because it's literally the love feast. I know Bruce has learned about this right now in early church history. The Eucharist, communion, was called the love feast because it's where the body of Christ gathers in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, like we always do every Sunday. And we share a meal, a sacrificial meal around his table. I listen to this dude, uh, Father Simon Says, and he's kind of a nut. <laughs> uh, his name is Simon, you know, and he's a father in the Catholic Church. So Father, says, uh, father Simon Says. Hang on, what did I say his name was? Simon? Okay, good. It's, it's confusing, but nonetheless, Father Simon Says. That's his name of his podcast, right? And he told this story that I just moved me. And, um, and i just tell it to you briefly. He said he was, he was serving communion in a, I don't know, America, somewhere super hot, humid, uh, and, he, and he said, you know, they had the, the, um, the elements there, the bread, uh, the wine, and as he was doing the liturgy and standing over it, blessing it in the name of God, as we always do in our thanksgiving, he said flies were everywhere, and it was really getting on his nerves. They were, they were flying around him, you know, these little gnats and all this kind of stuff, and some of them had dropped into the communion cup. And, of course, that's a super big inconvenience. And, I mean, why in the world, he says, you know, God, what in the world is going on? Flies in the communion, like, talk about screens being out. I'd be pretty upset about that. And he said in that moment, 
he had a picture of Jesus on the cross. Bloodied. Unable to swat away the flies. And he said he's overwhelmed with thanksgiving to God. That he would do that for me. That he'd do it for you. You see, love is not just a rule, a principle, or an idea. Love is a person that died for you and for me. Allow him to go to the cross for you. Receive that sacrificial blessing from God. Because it's worth nothing if you don't. Nothing. Well, (laughs) lastly... Love is persistent. Paul just says simply, and really don't need much explanation, love never fails. I would add one thing to it. Well, really, two things. One, love, there's only one thing that love can't do, and that's fail. It won't. It never will. Secondly, love grows. Have you noticed this in your life? You think you're at max capacity. Man, I can only love four kids. You know, that's how we were. Until there's Jessica and she's pregnant again with our fifth. And we're thinking, man, we love these little boys so much. I don't know how in the world we can love a fifth. I mean, we're probably squeezed out of love by now until Blakely comes. And I'm talking about love just gushes all out of me now. I don't even know where it comes from. I just, my heart breaks when I, it actually physically pains me sometimes to be around her. I love her so much because love grows. And the more we give it, the more it grows. It's, it's, it's a crazy thing. It's like, the, it's like the vessel, remember, of oil. It's like the more you pour, oh, there's only a little bit more. Well, pour it all then. Might as well. This is it. It just keeps pouring. It just keeps pouring. It just keeps growing. And that's why, dear friends, faith, will be realized one day when we see him face to face. We won't have to to believe or to trust. He'll be right there. We won't have to hope any longer because the sea will be calm. No longer tumultuous. There's no need for hope because he is the hope of all things and he'll be shining brightly. But love, we will still practice. Love, we will still enjoy because love never fails and is ever growing. So give it away. This, this day, give it away. As soon as this service is over, give it away. Maybe there's somebody you haven't even connected with. And what, just go, I love you. I want to be praying for you this way. I haven't done a good enough job loving you. Help. Help. It's not, by the way, it's not my job to love everybody in this congregation. It's not Pastor Bruce's job to love everybody in this congregation. It's all of our job. We are all part of the body, members of it. And if you don't have a few people in this local body that you love, then, friend, now is the time. Give it away. God has given us so much in in order to give it away. That's what being generous is. So, So, desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. Go the more excellent way. Love being our master key, right? Love being cruciform, self-giving. Believing that love never fails and is ever growing. 
So pursue love, as Paul would say now in 14, and earnestly continue to seek spiritual gifts to build one another up. Man, that sounds like a game plan, doesn't it? So let's do that. Let's be that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.